Well, good morning. So I can see you guys in the back. Oh, you are here. Well, if you have a Bible with you, I hope you do, or at least something that you can look at yourself and not just look on the screen. Turn to Hebrews chapter, really, we're going to be right at the end of Hebrews chapter 3, beginning of chapter 4. Let me get a plug in here because Hebrews is going to demonstrate something for us again that is so helpful in being a good disciple, a learner, a person who studies the Bible, the way in which the Bible is designed to be studied. So we're studying through Hebrews chapter by chapter, verse by verse, and you're you're going to see this, the inspired writing of this book. It assumes some background. When you go to read Hebrews, it assumes that you're bringing something with you. And the two things I'm going to highlight, we put them in these educational categories. It assumes systematic theology and it assumes biblical theology. Now, if you're thinking, I've heard those words before, I have no idea what they mean. Um, Systematic theology, it, it teaches you that there is a thought and there's insights from God that sit within the system of all that God has revealed. So when you go to understand a concept, you should never be a Christian who finds one verse to back up what you think. You should be looking at many verses to see what they all say about that particular topic. So as we've come to study Hebrews, we've bumped into words like propitiation. And maybe you're not familiar with reading that word anywhere else in the Bible. It is elsewhere in the Bible. But the concept it describes is all throughout the Bible. The fact that there is a holy, righteous God whose demands and response of righteousness to sin must be satisfied. That's all throughout the Bible. That is not a popular message today. Most of us don't get an encounter with the gospel that features God needs to be satisfied. What we encounter usually in the gospel is, hey, God has something really good for you. Don't you want it? And that's true, but it shouldn't leave out God needs to be satisfied. Otherwise, you won't understand the Bible. And so I'm, I'm a little this a, a bit of a promotion for us. You know, we're going to stand up another. We've been, we've been encouraging the church to engage studies in systematic theology. Not the easiest thing to study, but valuable. And so we're going to stand up another systematic theology class coming up here in a few weeks. It'll be available in our school, the word hour. Uh, We'll let you know about that probably next week, more details. But everybody needs that. When you come to Hebrews, if you come minus systematic theology, I guarantee you're reading the book too fast. And then so today you're going to get another, you're going to bump into biblical theology. Biblical theology is the study that God has been saying the same thing from the beginning of the Bible to the end. Biblical theology puts you in touch with the fact that there's a storyline in this Bible about God and about what he's doing and about his purpose that fills the pages. Again, you and I live in an age in which we're very tempted to to do what I will call devotional discipleship. Devotional discipleship is these little sound bites, these narrow little windows that we walk through to learn something. And the things that generate our interest are whatever's going on with me. I'm having a hard day. I'm going through some suffering. I really would like to be better at this. You know, what about something good happening in my life over here? So we pick up that topic and we run to the Bible and we get five or 10 minutes worth of information. And when we do that, 
we're, we're installing a really bad habit, a really bad habit. We're starting to think this book was written for my particular little moments. Does that sound weird? Does it freak you out to tell you that this book was not written for your particular moments? That it was actually written to reveal the purpose of the glorious God? It's about him. And my little moment finds its moment in his moment. And devotional discipleship teaches you to put that backwards. It teaches you to stare at your own life and figure out how God needs to get involved with your situation. So I know that's small, but it's huge. Because it it installs how you're going to think, how you're going to process, and how you're going to have faith for things in your life. So biblical theology means that the writer of Hebrews assumes you know some things about not just Hebrews and this passage, but about Deuteronomy and numbers. And I know this is true. There are many of us. I'm thanking God for all the people God's sending to us. Guys who are watching online, we're so grateful. But you may not be very familiar with Deuteronomy and numbers. And so when you read Hebrews, you're going to read it too fast because you don't really get what it's talking about and you'll move on too quickly. And then the word of God has less and less impact in your life, but something else will have impact. Something else is going to jar your life. Something else is going to be a phrase that sticks to you. Somebody else is going to say something to you that's an argument that sounds right. I I should go with that. We need biblical theology. We need systematic theology. We need to be impacted by this word. So I've got a lot of reading to do today, so hang in there with me as we look at a number of passages because we need some help getting to Hebrews. But let's pray together and then we're going to read. We have been living in a little section of your word where you said over and over and over again, today, if you hear his voice, Do not harden your hearts. Lord, that advice has been true on every page of the scriptures. It's true on the pages of our lives. Today, we hear your voice and we're about to hear your voice. Lord, let our hearts not be at a distance. Let our hearts not be sitting in the bleachers somewhere instead of engaging what we hear. Lord, let faith be awakened in our hearts to receive your word into our lives today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, I'm gonna read a large passage today. Look for this with me so I don't have to go back and undo it or or, or point it out. You guys have heard the phrase, the fear of missing out. I mean, I think that's always been true of humanity, but it's been especially true the last couple of decades with so many things that we could be doing. There's this great fear of missing out. We might, we might miss out on something. Well, believe it or not, this passage is concerned that we might miss out on something. It's actually grabbing us and sort of, Hey, I'm concerned that you're going to miss out on something here. Listen up carefully, right? So this is, listen to all the ways in which it says, Hey, you could miss out on this. Hey, Hey, You can miss out on this, right? It's going to say it over and over again. Look for it with me. Hebrews 3, verse 16. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? 
And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest? But to those who were disobedience. So we see that they were, they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Who is this they? Right? If, you, if you're not bringing any biblical theology to this moment, you don't know who he's talking about, do you? You don't know what 40 years he's referencing. You don't know what went on in their lives. Right? This, this verse is assuming you know the backstory for this. I'm not going to unpack it. I'm just going to tell you. I'm going to reference it real quick, and it's huge. And these guys back then were missing out. Verse 1, therefore, while the promise of entering his rest, it still stands, let us fear, lest any of you should miss out, right? To have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them. But the message they heard, it did not benefit them, right? They missed out on something. Because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed, that's what this verse is about, we enter that rest, as he has said. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has somewhere spoken, right? This is biblical theology, somewhere in the Bible, it already says this, of the seventh day in this way. And God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, in this passage, he said, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it. And those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience. Again, he appoints a certain time today, saying through David, so long afterward, in the words already quoted, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, right? Are, are you catching the biblical theology? We've, we've been back in Genesis at creation. We've heard the story about a wilderness wandering generation. Now we've bumped into King David, who had a word from God for the people then, and the people failed to enter into that. And then he's going to mention another place of biblical theology. For if Joshua, you know who Joshua is? You know what he's famous for? If Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us, therefore, strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. Let us strive to enter lest we miss out. And here's a Bible passage where God is saying, I've got stuff for you and I'm going to say things to you and I'm going to impart things to you and they're supposed to do something in your life. They're supposed to take you somewhere and you need last week's message for this week. They're not just supposed to be things that you heard something or you saw God do something. 40 years in the wilderness, God did something. And then he turns around and says, but they missed out. And they got all the way to the doorway. 
the entranceway of what God was going to do, and they missed out. Right, so this is preserved for us. Where, where are we in this? Well, you know, kind of verse 11 is, is the us. Let us, therefore, strive to enter. Let us strive to enter into something. There is something more for us from God that needs to be taken hold of by faith. And that's where the guys in the past, and we need them to give us a lesson. They're, they're our troubleshooting guide here, right? If you guys, how many of you guys fix stuff in your life by watching YouTube videos? I've got a degree from YouTube University. Um, I have fixed so many things based on somebody's idea, right? So this is sort of watching a YouTube video. It's like, hey, what is going on with us? Why are we missing out? Hey, watch the YouTube video provided by Joshua and all of his generation, and those guys who struggled to enter in. Ken Hughes in his commentary says, Israel's response to the good news was tragically deficient. The message they heard was of no value to them because those who heard did not combine it with faith. Literally, they didn't mix it with faith. Oh, that's helpful, isn't it? I can hear something. This is where the heart that we talked about last week this heart, this central element of who I am, where God puts faith in us to be used. And then along comes God's word. And, and, and quite honestly, I'm, I'm confronted with this moment, this transitional, transactional moment. Am I going to mix faith with what I just heard? God has said something. Am I going to put faith in what he said? Am I going to begin to look out at my life through the lens of faith actually believing something God has said? Or am I merely aware of it? Acknowledging it. Can tell you the story about it. I could teach a Sunday school class on it. That doesn't mean I've mixed faith with it. You'll know if you mix faith with it because it shows up in reality. And when it doesn't show up, it doesn't affect your thoughts, your feelings, your emotions, the way you're processing life, the things that you think might happen, the level of fear operating in your life. When that's not being affected, troubleshooting my life says I'm probably not really believing what God has said, even though I do acknowledge what he said. John Piper, very helpful, says this. Do you see the great lesson here? The Christian life is a life of day by day, hour by hour, trust in the promises of God to help us and guide us and take care of us, to forgive us and bring us into a future of holiness and joy that will satisfy our hearts infinitely more than if we forsake him and put our trust in ourselves or in the promises of this world. And that day by day, hour by hour, trusting God's promises is not automatic. That's helpful to hear. It is the result of daily diligence and it's the result of proper fear. Right, there is every day of our lives, whether we have thought it through this way or not, there is an exchange taking place between promises and faith, promises and faith, promises and faith. Because you and I 
live as creatures with limited knowledge. We don't infinitely know everything. So there's a lot that we don't know. There's a lot going on today that we don't know about. And there's a lot in the future, right? Almost everything in the future that we don't know about. So the possibility that things could be a certain way in the future, the the promise of something in the future is calling out to you and me every day for faith. But the problem is God's voice and his word is not the only thing we hear. There's a message in this world. There's a God of this world. He broadcasts promises every day. The world picks it up, uses common language, dresses it up, sticks it on billboards, puts it in our devices, and presents a message to us every day. Promises. It promises something. It promises the kind of stuff we're looking for. Reward, safety, enjoyment, pleasure, a future. And in that moment, I've got a decision to make. Is my faith going to believe that? Or is my faith going to believe God? That's every day. Everybody is living in that space. And God's stepping into that in a big way. And I appreciate Piper's help here. That is a day-by-day, hour-by-hour lifestyle. And I know some of us are like, man, day by day, hour by hour, great, Keith. I can take the reading assignment, but now I've got something to do day by day, hour by hour? This sounds exhausting. Can I just break some news to you? You're already doing this. You do exactly what I just said, day by day, hour by hour. Every moment of your life, you stare at something that's got potential and a promise and some kind of hope attached to it, and it can deliver and critique of everything else that won't. And I make a decision all the time. Am I going to put my faith in that? Am I going to believe that? Right, so I'm already doing this. I'm not adding new in, any new homework to any of us. We're doing this. God's just saying, hey, how, about, how about trusting me? How about believing what I have said with a greater affection and trust than what the world has said, what the enemy says, or what you say to yourself, right? Any of those things. So these guys are missing out. What are they missing out on? Well, there's this giant concept that's going to get presented to us in this passage called God's rest. They are missing out on this thing called God's rest. What exactly is God's rest? Well, it's, it's a little more complicated than I'd maybe like it to be in this passage. But let, let me start with something that bears witness to why that word even sounds attractive to us. There's an attraction in every human heart about finding rest due to the amount of restlessness that's inside of every one of us. Everybody here humble enough, you're watching? Everybody humble enough to recognize I can be pretty restless on the inside. Noisy, troubled, exhausted, discouraged listening to a lot of ideas and junk and history and tendencies and personality, right? There is a restlessness in us, right? Going back to the fifth century, St. Augustine said, thou, Lord, thou movest us to delight in praising thee, for thou hast formed us for thyself. And our hearts are restless till they find rest in thee. Now, is that true 
Because somebody's coming along this week and something's coming along this week offering to solve your restlessness. Something will. Temporary distraction. Could be the left, leftover uh, pecan pie in the refrigerator. Could be offering, right? I mean, it could. It can come along and say, hey, you know that, that inner noise you got going on? You got about 15 minutes? I can fix that for you. But, but here's the reality, right? You do know that pecan pie fixes it for about 15 minutes. And, and then it fixes other things into your body uh, <laughs> that you then have to work on later. Blaise Pascal was a, a brilliant 17th century philosopher. He was a mathematician. He was a scientist. He was an incredible thinker. And he says this in such great imagery. He says, what is it then that this desire, this inability proclaimed to us, but that there was once in man a true happiness of which there now remained to him only the mark and empty trace which he in vain tries to fill from all his surroundings. Listen to this. This is so helpful. Seeking from things absent the help he does not obtain in things present. Right? Quite simply, how many of us just think if we just had that? If we just were here instead of here? If we could just achieve this instead of all that we have achieved, right? Do you, do you always forget that, you know, in your achievement category, if I could just achieve this, do you forget you've achieved a lot of things through life's journey and yet you're still looking for another achievement, right? This stuff never goes away, but these are all inadequate, he says, because the infinite abyss can only be filled by an infinite and immutable object. That is to say only by God himself. All right, now you're getting a little bit closer to the issue of solving restlessness. Lift your eyes to every setting around us. And, and, you know, whether it's entire societies or nations, whether you're young or you're old, whether you're somebody who invented something or somebody who's going to invest in something, right? Whether you're a podcaster or a protester, every person is trying to solve this restlessness on the inside issue. It's it's like a cancer that goes into remission and you just know it's it's coming back. And the Bible interacts with this inner noise this way. It calls it a hunger. It's a great terminology because everybody's familiar with, have you, anybody in here ever permanently solved their hunger? Right, it's just one temporary fix after another, isn't it? And so Jesus comes along and says, hey, can, can I just reach right into where you live? I am the bread of life. Just come down from heaven. What was he talking about there? Was he, was he talking about the, the communion celebration that everybody, no, no. He was speaking about the need in the human heart that longs for something. The hunger that's inside of us. Jesus said, you know what you're hungering for? You're hungering for me. I am the bread of life. Listen, that job's not the bread of life. Getting married's not the bread of life. Your children aren't the bread of life. That money's not the bread of life. Moving to that location's not the bread of life. I am the bread of life. So there's a rest that God associates and God deals with our restlessness by himself. He is the means of finding rest. 
I mean, I don't know who this is for. I had an impression just praying over the service early this morning um, that there's somebody here today, maybe you're watching, that, that you have moved recently, not too long ago, to the New Orleans area, and you have found yourself very restless, and you're thinking to move again. Uh, I'm not here to tell you whether you should or shouldn't move. I just think the Lord's trying to bring to your attention that you're sort of on the run from restlessness. And you're never going to be able to run away from restlessness. You can only run toward God. You can't run from restlessness. It will find you. Right? It's like hunger. It's never going away. Well, here's this word rest in this passage. Kataposis is the Greek word. And I love these imageries. It's, it's the reposing down. It's abode. It's a sense of being at home. A putting to rest. A calming of the winds. It denotes God's rest. Listen, the place where he fixes his presence. All right, so this is a little systematic theology element. When you find rest in scripture, that's what you discover. Rest is about the place where he fixes his presence. And in our passage in Hebrews 3, and and it's referring to Psalm 95, the references to the rest or the resting place that God gives to his people. As the Old Testament promise points beyond Moses to Christ, So the rest of God in Genesis 2 points beyond Joshua and David to the final rest to which believers in Christ will attain if they hold fast their faith. And so here's here's a quick systematic or or more biblical theology moment here. Let me run through this real quickly because rest gets presented in a bit of a past element, a present element, and a future element. So if, if you ignore pieces of this, you end up with a, kind of a hyper version of rest. Rest exists in a past sense biblically, in a present sense biblically, and in a future sense biblically, right? And you see this in these passages. So just race through this with me. I put it in your outline. Uh, here's a variety of reference points that are in this passage about this rest, right? First, there is a rest that's referenced to God entering the seventh day at the foundation of the world, verses three and four. His works were finished from the foundation of the world, but he was somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way. And God rested on the seventh day from all his works. All right, so there is something God points back to in the oranges. Now, factor in, Jesus is going to come along and say in this fallen world, he's going to come along and say this, my father is working and I am working. That's kind of interesting, isn't it? There can be a rest in which God is working. There can be. All right, next thing. There's a rest here that's referenced to Joshua. Right, verse 8 and 9. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. What was that? Well, Joshua was the guy who led them into the promised land in the Old Testament. And God had promised rest to them there. We're going to visit that in just a moment. There's a rest that's referenced and connected to David. So God had spoken something, right? So this is the key. God speaks things that when we believe them, we enter into them, right? So even when David comes along, he's not, he's not talking about the same exact thing for Joshua or previous, but there's something God said to David's generation that they could have entered into. And then the last one in this setting, there's a rest that's being offered to the Hebrews in verse 11. It's kind of, a, I'm going to call it a today Rest, something you and I can experience right now. He says, let us therefore strive to enter that rest. So I think I wrote your outline. This verse presents historic rest, 
a today rest and a future rest. But the concern for the writer is that the Hebrews experience rest now. Right, so you understand if I reference the rest of Joshua, hey, great for you guys, but what's that doing for me? That was your experience. And then there's a huge emphasis on future rest. But what about right now? What about me experiencing rest right now? Well, that's in this passage, Hebrews 4, verse 1. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, it still stands, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us, justice to them. But the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest. So there's something of this rest that's available to us now. Charles Spurgeon, very helpful, his message on rest. He says, it appears from the text that even now, Persons of a certain character enjoy rest. It's not a rest merely to hear of, to speak of, and to desire, but a rest into which believers have entered. They have passed into it and are in actual enjoyment of it today. So there is a dimension that we're looking to a rest, but there is also a dimension that we are experiencing a rest right now, right? So you have past, present, and future elements of this rest. Let's visit the past because there's some insights from this reference in Deuteronomy as to what was going on in this generation that helps us understand, hey, what's rest about for us? Well, the reference point for understanding the rest we're supposed to have goes all the way back here to Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 12. If you're not familiar with Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy is this moment in the history of God's people where previously they had sat at Mount Sinai. God had put together, hey, here's what it is to be my people, to call on my name and for me to dwell among you. And then years go by and Deuteronomy is the moment where they're actually going to now enter into the promised land. And all this is going to get rehearsed again. So if you're reading the Bible and you're kind of like, you read Deuteronomy, you're kind of going, didn't I read this before? Yes, you did. Uh, It's a different moment. But it's God saying the same thing to them. This is what it means to be my people. This is how you enter into the things I have for you. So Deuteronomy 12, verse 1 says this. These are the statutes and rules that you shall be careful to do in the land that the Lord, the God of your fathers, has given to you to possess all the days that you live on the earth. In the land. Can you hear this through this sense that there's a bit of a life geography for people? Can you go with me there for a second? Can you imagine everybody has a life geography? They had a life geography. God brought them to a point and he says, hey, there's this land right here for you to enter into, right? And let me just, when you read the Old Testament, how many of you guys know that the, the great destiny of our lives today is, is not in the Middle East with a land that gets apportioned out for people in the neighborhood of Israel. Or you guys do realize that we're not all here today celebrating that one day we're all going to move to Jerusalem. Um, that's not in our future, but it wasn't theirs. It's like their life had a geography. So can you put yourself in that? Because your life has a geography, a place in which God is saying, I want you to dwell right there. And I've got purposes right there. 
and you're going to possess them. Listen to this, verse two. You shall surely destroy all the places where the nations whom you shall dispossess served their gods. On the high mountains and on the hills and under every green tree, you shall tear down their altars and dash in pieces their pillars and burn their asherim with fire. You shall chop down the carved images of their gods and destroy their name out of that place. All right, so I want want to, let's put ourselves at the doorway of something because that's where these guys are. They're at the doorway of entering into this thing God calls rest. And here's what's inside the door. Because this kind of flings open the door for a moment. And the other passage we'll look at in a second does the same thing. You're standing at this massive, I don't know, think Jurassic Park or something. You've got a massive land you're about to enter into. It's got a big gate on it. You can't quite see everything. But, but it's like Deuteronomy and Numbers flips the door open, lets you see in there for a second. And you see some things in this land. And God turns around and says, hey, when you go in there, there's already stuff dwelling there. And you're going to have to dispossess them in that land. This, this is God calling them into rest but there's hostile forces in that land and you're going to have to dispossess them. Charles Spurgeon's helpful. He says, Canaan, that's what's beyond this door here. Canaan was a representation of the rest of believers. By some, it's been taught to picture heaven and it may be used without violence, but remember that in heaven, there are no Hivites or Jebusites to be driven out. While in the rest which God gives to his people here on earth, there yet remain struggles with inbred sins and uprising corruptions which must be dethroned and destroyed. Canaan is a fair type of the rest which belongs to the believer this side of the grave. That's very helpful. Because what is your idea that you're bringing to the rest that Hebrews 4 is inviting us into? Is it it the rest we're going to find in heaven? Because you're going to be really disappointed and you're going to ask for a refund. But when you read the Bible, there is a rest in heaven. And it's wonderfully displayed. And it is a fulfillment. Matter of fact, the ultimate thing God restores in heaven, it's not streets of gold. This is, that's, you know, dumb Americans think, oh, there's gold and you walk on it. It's the presence of God there that is ultimate there. So that means there's something of the presence of God here, but it's not quite what it's going to be there. And if you're thinking it's going to be like it is in heaven, how you're going to be very disappointed in following Jesus in this world. This is not heaven. This is earth. And in earth, the door flings open. You're kind of like, hmm. Did anybody else see people in that land? Because there's a bunch of people in that land. And yeah, you're going to go in and dispossess them. That's what God says. And he goes on in verse four and says, you shall not worship the Lord, your God in that way. But you shall seek the place of the Lord, your God will choose out of all your tribes to put his name and to make his habitation there. 
right, please pay attention to this. In a world of designer everything, of hyper-individuality, God stands at the door, it flings open for a second, and he continues to have this lecture to the group about to go in, and he says, okay, let me just tell you guys, do not, do not worship me like that. That way. Do not worship me that way. Why do I emphasize this so much? Because the world today listens for a God that you can invent and make him whatever you want him to be. The church is doing that. And so you just feature certain things about him that you like and you reinforce just those things. And next thing you know, you're turning him into something that's in the land. Right? Remember, you and I are in a particular land. We, we, We don't have promised lands issues. We don't have Jebusites. We got like Nike in our land. You know, there's ladder and bloom is in our land. And so there's a way of pulling God into this idea. And the church did this. This is the church's fault and failure. This is what devotional discipleship versus biblical theology will do to you. You will turn all this into a promised land. It's about me. I wanted to be this all my life. I've got this talent. I want to try this. I'm really good. This people reinforces. Where is God in, in turning the world into something that's about me? And yet, America is a land of dreams, isn't it? It's one of the greatest things we have going on in this country, is that you can chase your dreams. And that idea has got imported. And there's a way to worship God when you turn him into a God who's about your dreams. There's a way to worship him. And we've kind of followed that, quite honestly. The church has not escaped its influence. You know, some of us have lived long enough to, to remember there weren't a lot of malls years ago, right? Malls came along. Malls came along when suburban lifestyle came along. I know I'm a nerd in these areas. Just put up with me. Um, so you had everybody live in urban lifestyles who ran to the local marketplace. But then when the suburbs got birthed, the suburban lifestyle came along. And with it came malls. And then when the church world was influenced by that same lifestyle, mega churches came along. And mega churches feel a lot like malls. They sort of celebrate similarly, promote things similarly, mention things, frame things. They're tapping into what the suburban lifestyle of America has taught us to value and run after. It was God staring into the land, telling them, do not worship me that way. There's a way to do this as far as God's concerned. There's a way to relate to God and prioritize him. All right, so we have moved beyond suburbia into the digital age. You and I live in a digital world. Matter of fact, malls have paid quite a price for digital land, haven't they? Driving past a mall lately? I'm impressed by any of them that survive. Go, go visit the Esplanade Mall. I watched that mall get built when I was in high school. It's a shell. Nobody wants to be in that place. The digital age has replaced them all. And the digital age is affecting the church. There's something now about worshiping God that way. 
It's not like a mall. It's like personal podcast, self-delivery. I, I, I don't gather with people. I don't submit myself to any pulpit. I am the captain of my own ship. I decide what I'm going to listen to, what I'm going to like. I don't have to put up with Keith ranting about something that I'm not interested in. I could just fast, you could fast forward me right now, right? I know some of you just did. (laughs) But just remember, every generation's got a little version of having the door flung open to the purpose God has for them. The land he wants you to live in. And he's going to say, listen, do not worship me that way. There's a way to do this. And it's in God's word. And we need to be careful and be wise as to whether we're doing that. Verse 5 ends with, he's going to make his name and his habitation there. There you shall go. There you shall bring your burnt offerings and your sacrifices, your tithes and the contributions that you present, your vow offerings, your free will offerings, and the firstborn of your herd, of your flock. And there you shall eat before the Lord your God. You shall rejoice, you and your households, in all that you undertake in which the Lord your God has blessed you. Wait, wait, wait. That's, that's a lot to do, isn't it? Did you hear all that? What are you going to be doing? You're going to be offering things and there'll be sacrifices and your tithes. You're going to be giving God money. There's going to be vow offerings and free will. Then you're going to offer your firstborn. Wait, I thought this was rest. It is. Is it, is that not in agreement with rest? Well, yeah, but Keith, when I think rest, I think lawn chairs and lemonade. This doesn't sound like lawn chairs and lemonade. No, it doesn't. You're right. I'm with you. But it is rest, right? God goes on and says, you shall not, verse 8, you shall not do according to all that we are doing here today. Everyone doing whatever is right in his own eyes. For you have not as yet come to the rest and to the inheritance that the Lord your God is giving you. But when you go over the Jordan and live in the land that the Lord your God is giving you to inherit. And when he gives you rest from all your enemies around so that you live in safety. Then to the place that the Lord your God will choose to make his name dwell there. Rest is always about God's habitation and his dwelling and his presence even in lands that have issues. There you shall bring all that I command you, your burnt offerings, your sacrifices, your tithes and contributions that you present, all your finest vow offerings that you vow to the Lord. So let me get this right. Based on what the Bible says, when you find a place to rest, it's not necessarily a place of inactivity, casual leisure. Is that right? Yes, that's right. I think heaven's got a little bit more of a lawn chair and lemonade thing going on. But we're not there yet. A lot of us think that we're right in the middle of God's will when everything is in harmony. Uh, Stand with these guys at the doorway of God's will for their lives when they're being told, oh, by the way, arm yourselves because the second you walk into this land, you're going to get attacked. 
and there's going to be issues, which is exactly what they ended up becoming the reason they didn't enter in. Right? So if we jump into numbers, right? Deuteronomy is after numbers. So here's what happened the first time they pulled up to the doorway of Jurassic Park and it flung open. They saw big dinosaurs in there. And they thought, I don't think we want to go in there. All right, so this is, again, your, your biblical theology pulls numbers with you into this moment. Just as an announcement, everybody take this with us today. When you stand at the entrance of the, the personal geography, the corporate geography, the land that God has given you, when you stand at the entrance... Fear is going to find an opportunity to have a conversation with you. I guarantee it. That's what happens to them. Numbers chapter 13, verse 27. Right? A group of spies has gone into the land. You remember this story? There's a group of spies that go into the land, the land that God selected, the land that's described in Deuteronomy, this wonderful land, this milk and honey land. And spies go in and check it out and they come back. And they told him, we came to the land, right? We came to the, the personal geography God had for us, to which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. So they came back bringing stuff with them, a, a taste of what was yet to come. However, there's always a however when you stand at the gate. However, the people who dwell in the land are strong and the cities are fortified, very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there, verse 30. But Caleb quieted the people, right? Caleb and Joshua were spies. By the way, they were the only spies and the only ones in this generation who did what Hebrews chapter four describes, who actually entered into what God said by faith. Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. Then the men who had gone up with him said, we are not able to go up against the people, for they're stronger than we are. So they brought the people of Israel a bad report of the land that they had spied out, saying, the land through which we have gone to spy it out, is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people that we saw in it are of great height. And there we saw the Nephilim, dude. The sons of Anak were come from the Nephilim. And we seem to ourselves like grasshoppers. And so we seem to them as well. Right, can, can you have this conversation maybe with yourself, but with others traveling with you, the door flings open into what God has for you to inhabit and dwell in and rest in. And a however comes that says, that is nuts. That's nonsensical. That's never going to work. You don't understand. You don't understand my situation. Let me just tell you about my situation. There are fortified cities in my situation. Fortified, dude. They're not just there and they're big. And they're, they resist things because they're fortified. They've had time to build up layers that protect. That stuff's not going anywhere. That's what they're saying about the land that God's calling them to dwell in. And then all the congregation raised a loud cry and the people wept that night. And all the people of Israel grumbled 
against Moses and Aaron. Always know that fear has like a little gang he brings with him. Right? When fear shows up, he's never alone, right? He's got friends with him. He's got complaining with him. He's got criticism. He's got aggression. He's got anger and control. I mean, it's like they're like a little brood of guys who hang out. The whole congregation said to them, would that we had died in the land of Egypt. Or would that we had died in the wilderness. Why? Why is the Lord bringing us into this land? To fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become prey would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to one another, let's choose a leader and go back. Where did all this happen? At the doorway of rest. At the doorway of rest. Now, some do enter in this story. Joshua, Caleb enter. But when we keep reading in Hebrews, you're going to find out a bunch of people entered. They entered into what I would call today rest. They entered into resting in the purpose and presence of God in their day, in their moment. They're going to get described here in Hebrews. Hebrews 4.2 again. For good news came to us just as to them. But the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. Listen. For we who have believed enter that rest. How do, you, how do you get into this land? By believing. By faith entrusting what God has said. You get into the land of rest by believing God. And there's a whole story. And I'm going to skip to Hebrews 11. There's a whole group of people that when we get all the way, when we will we'll eventually get there. Hey, we're in chapter 4. We're moving along. When we get to Hebrews chapter 11, you're going to hear the resume, the stories of people who did enter in. Right, Hebrews 4 is pointing us back and say, can I just tell you, there's a whole generation who did not. They missed out. But Hebrews 11 is going to turn on and say, but then there's a bunch of people who didn't miss out. They entered in. And listen to what it says about them. Hebrews 11 verse 30. We'll read this really quick. By faith. Right? That's how you enter the promises of God, right? By faith. That's how you enter the rest of the presence and purpose of God. By faith. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days, right? Remember the little door flung open and and Jericho is one of the first cities you're going to come to. So maybe they could see that one way in the distance. Maybe that's the one that they said, the cities are, they're fortified, dude. You're never going to overthrow that. And so that whole generation doesn't enter in except Joshua and Caleb and the next generation. And in the next generation, by faith, the walls of Jericho fall down. By faith, Rahab, the prostitute, right, in the promised land, did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. And what more shall I say, right? This is toward the end of Hebrews 11 with all of its stories of those who entered in. Time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith, they conquered kingdoms. They enforced justice. They obtained promises. They stopped the mouths of lions. They quenched the power of fire. They escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. And then you just get some random people who entered in. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others, 
suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats and destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains, in dens and caves of the earth. All these, though commended by their faith, this is not a story. You didn't just read something that's apologizing for them. These guys messed it up. Look at the hardships they went through. Look how hard life was for them. That's a shame, you know? Why didn't they just believe something? No, 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 they did believe something. They entered into a land that that's what was in their land. So when you read about Abraham, Abraham's got a story. He's going to enter into a bit of the land, the purposes of God. He's going to live in Ur of the Chaldees. God's going to speak to him. Ah, his heart gets the chance to hear it. And what's he going to do with it? He's going to believe God and it's going to be reckoned to him as righteousness. And he's going to leave Ur of the Chaldees and go to a land that he doesn't know. And he's going to live in tents. When the door flung open, the rest for him involved him living in tents. Moses, it involved him confronting Pharaoh in obedience to God's word and and leading an exodus of God's people. For Joshua, it involved going into this land. But all these places are the today voice of God that can be heard in faith and therefore can be entered into. And there's no advertisement, not in the today issues. There is in the future. But in the today issues, there's no advertisement here that you're just going to enter the land and sit down in a lawn chair and drink lemonade. You might sound like Hebrews 11. You might step into this land. Let me tell you one more thing that's critical for you and I, and I'm going to pray for us. Tucked into Hebrews chapter 11 is, is an awareness of future rest. Right, so it's kind of like Hebrews 4 pulls up, hey, if you want to understand today rest, okay, first I'm going to need to help you understand rest in the past, and I'm also going to need you to see rest in the future so that you can rest right here. Because Hebrews is not trying to get you and I to acknowledge the people in the past missed out on rest, and one day we'll experience rest. It's trying to get that information to help us enter into rest today. That's what it wants to do. So look at Hebrews 11, verse 8. This goes all the way back to Abraham. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. He went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, right? Remember, faith is what enters God's rest. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. Listen, for he was looking forward to the city that has foundations whose designer and builder is God. Oh, Abraham, what were you ultimately looking at? Verse 16. But as it is, they desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. Therefore, God's not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. But do you get the picture here? 
there's a moment, this man named Abraham exists in a moment. God approaches him, speaks to him, and he takes his word to heart and obeys it. And by faith, he enters into the land of rest that God has prepared for him. But ultimately, what is Abraham looking for? The city that God has built. Now, I don't think he's like this fool looking for Atlantis. It's like, oops, I didn't find Atlantis here in the promised land. I think he sees something of the purpose of God that goes beyond the land of this land. But how did he dwell in the land God had put in front of him? By seeing that land too. And what does Hebrews do to us? It says, okay, everybody. God has put a personal geography in our lives, in our moments to take the next step and the doors fling open and you glance into it and you see some stuff in that land. And the Hebrews have seen some things. Are they going to dwell in that land? Well, the warning of Hebrews says, be careful, be careful in this moment. You're standing at the edge of this thing. You're about to step into something. Be careful because let me tell you about another people who missed out because they stood at this moment and they didn't believe God. Oh, and, and let me tell you as well about a future that ultimately what we're all in this for is the new heavens and the new earth. But take that with you now into right here and right now, which is what I want us to do this morning, right? Hebrews three and four is about us finding rest now, right now. And maybe you're here this morning. I just want you to just be vulnerable to the Holy Spirit. Maybe you're walking in here. You're more like St. Augustine or Blaise Pascal's perspective. Maybe you are restless, restless. You're not dwelling in rest. Listen, don't mistake this. Rest does not mean the universe is in harmony. Rest does not mean you finally have gotten to the place where all the difficulties and enemies of your life are gone. That's not what rest means. Not today. But there is a rest that comes when we walk by faith entrusting ourselves to the presence of God. Are you where God is? Right? Remember, there's a lot about this land that God says, I'm going to be here. I'm going to dwell with you. Oh, by the way, you can set up this big tabernacle thing, which we'll learn more about in Hebrews. And I'm going to dwell right there and you're going to dwell with me. Oh, but by the way, there's a heavenly city coming. It doesn't even have any lights because my presence is there at such magnitude that I dwell with you. I understand this is all just kind of like a little taste of what's coming. And I love the image. The spies go off and do what? They bring back a taste. You ever heard the Bible talk about first fruits, down payments? It's like little spies. The word of God runs into the heavenly city and comes back with fruit and says, look what's here. Gifts of healing, power of God, changing our lives. Look, that happens uninterrupted in heaven. But down here, it, it gets interrupted. But you still get to taste it. It's a taste of heaven. But it's for today. And here's the thing I want to maybe pull you toward. We've all come together. We've got a bunch of individual stories here. Together we're a church. And, and we show up at the doorway of a land. We're on the verge of something. Are you on the verge of something in your life? Personally. Think for a second. Personally. 
You've come to a different place. You come to a different season. And the door kind of flings open into it. Can you go there with me for a second? Can you realize there's something about your story that I'm describing right now? Right? I've come to a bunch of doorways in my life. I'm calling you to be a pastor, Keith. I want you to lay down everything else in your life and I want you to do this. I had never been a pastor before. I didn't know what that land was like. And, you know, the good thing was I was very nearsighted. So when the door flung open, I couldn't see all the bad cities. So I didn't know how hard this could get. But it's a land to occupy. And I always feel like God played a joke on me. He gave me seven children, seven children. I don't know what the heck I'm doing. And all seven of them got to put up with that. Limitation, lack of wisdom, fling the door open. You know how many things I can see in the future of my children's lives as I fling the door open and I look? And all the things that, that bring dread to me and fear gets awakened in me? Right, it's been weird for Gina and I to pull up to the, to the land of empty nest. Door kind of flings open. Can I just tell you, I've, I've looked into the door. I don't like what I'm seeing. I don't like the aging piece. I don't like diminishing physical elements. I don't like the arthritis that's in this finger that always lets me know it's there. I don't like this. I don't like my children moving into the next phase of their lives while looking at me in the rearview mirror. So when I fling this door open, there's this giant however voice. However, Keith, that land of rest, it's got problems in it and difficulties in it. I know maybe you're here this morning and you're, you're fighting for your marriage. There's this land. It's the geography of God for your life is beyond those doors. But you look into it and you see a husband or a wife with walled cities, fortified cities, That stuff's not coming down easy. And yet God is saying, enter the land. I'll put you together with this person. You walk in faith and you enter the land. I'm doing something in your life. Listen, rest is not about whether it's easy or not. Maybe your kids are turning teenagers right now. Maybe your kids have turned adults. The stat I read last week have wandered from the faith. And so you look into that land and fear rises up in you. What are you going to believe? So I don't know exactly, but can you get in touch with this right now? Can you, can you, can you put a geographical moment in your life right now? What, what geography are you staring into? You're retired? Older? Young person about to go off to college, have no idea what to do. There's a new land in front of you. What are you hearing God say? And what are you believing? What are you hearing God say? And what are you believing? You need to hear both, right? I got to hear God say something to me. And I need to believe it. Let's stand up together. Lord, we started this morning together saying, today, if you hear his voice, 
do not harden your hearts. Do not let your hearts be distant from what you hear. Do not let your hearts sit in the bleachers and watch its phone instead of watching what God is doing. Do not let your hearts be disengaged and uninvolved. Do not listen to my word without mixing it with faith. Lord, that's where you have us this morning. That's what that word's about. God, all over this room, by your grace, you have brought us to new lands. All over this room. New seasons. New relationships. New locations. New responsibilities. And Lord, when we fling the door open and just glimpse into it, Lord, we don't just see milk and honey. But yet you still say, enter into my rest. Lord, is this where you have us? Lord, whatever door we're standing at right now, Lord, is this where you have us? Because I know, Lord, if we feel like we're not where you want us to be, we're living the wrong life. This was not what I was supposed to be destined to do. If we buy into that, that somehow, Lord, you were on vacation when my life was unfolding. You overlooked some things. And now I'm in no man's land. Thanks a lot. That's not the God I know. I know the days that I have ordained for you, says the Lord. Every one of them before there was but one. So Lord, where we're standing, the doorways that we're standing at, whether we see a bunch of walled cities and giants and legendary problems like the Anak, whatever it is that we're seeing, Lord, by faith we enter into rest by believing you. Not believing fear, not believing our doubts, not believing ourselves, not believing the reputations in the land, but God, by believing you. So God, I pray for all of us because I think we all live in a place where we're on the verge of something. God, would you be gracious to us and awaken the faith that you've given us? Lord, mustard seed faith moves mountains. God, would you just awaken enough to move whatever's in front of us, God, to give us faith for the thing that's coming. God, convince us. Lord, we don't want to miss out. Lord, I don't want to miss out. Lord, even though I... Look into the land of the future and there's some things that I don't like about it, Lord. But I don't want to miss out on what you have for me in that land, in that season, in that place. So Lord, by faith, Lord, I'm going to believe something about you this morning. Something that gets me moving. It gets me into the entranceway. That gets me moving towards Jericho even though I have no idea how that Jericho is going to change when I get to it. But God, I'm entering into your rest. You have called me to this. Today, Lord, today, if I hear your voice, let my heart engage what you say. Let faith be found in me. Lord, would you do that for every person here, every struggling marriage that's in this room, Lord, would you do that? Lord, every parent that's here that's staring into a a land of children that's not exactly what they thought it was going to be. A land that's got a lot of fear in it. A a land of concerns and questions. Lord, a a land that people have relocated. Lord, they're in a new place. Maybe some who are watching online who have relocated to another city. And something in them just feels like I'm in the wrong place. I, I don't feel settled here. The noise is relentless. Oh, Lord. 
where you are is where we need to be, where your presence dwells. Easy or not. What we're after, Lord, is you. You are our resting place. You will be enough. Of this we are sure. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, guys, if, uh, if you need some prayer, prayer team members, if you guys would come on up, if you need somebody to pray with you about something going on, let God meet you. Let him touch something by faith this morning. Let him awaken something and you do something fresh and new. Hey, you guys who are watching, we love you. If there's something we could do to connect with you guys, you got a need going on in your life, let us know that. We'd be glad to make some time to get with you. We'll see you next week.